All right, folks, we're back after a couple of weeks off there. Another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. This is episode number 46. Randall, it's December 1st. How about that? Who who said it could be December already? I sure didn't approve that. Wild, wild stuff. Jeremy's here tonight. Randall's here. I'm Ronan. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Please give us a follow. Give us some thoughts. Boys, we got a lot to talk about tonight. We've been off so, for a couple of weeks here. What our fans don't know is we actually did a live in-person edition of Behind the Yellow Line last week, but uh, it was just for an audience of Huxley. So we got it in person. It was good to see both of you guys, but it's nice to get back here with a full show again. Well, Huxley had a lot of thoughts, I know, because Huxley being the, the vocal dog that he is, uh, had, had a lot of input on last week's live and single audience edition of Behind the Yellow Line, episode K9. Yes, oh. it was good to be back in town, though. I got to say, Jeremy brought over some smoked meat, which was delicious. Huxley got to chase around some squirrels in the yard. And always good to get back to the Chicagoland area, the Vienna beef signs. You start to see that. It's like, okay, I'm home. And it was good to get some of that and bring some of that good stuff back here, too. But we got a lot to talk about tonight. The Cubs have been very, very busy in the last couple of hours here. And we are just about an hour or so away from the collective bargaining agreement ending and expiring so here's what we're going to talk about tonight the cubs add a starting pitcher they add a catcher they add an outfielder into the mix we've got thoughts on all of that a couple of notes we want to pass on regarding the 40-man roster and then we're going to look outside the chicago cubs very very busy across baseball here before the cba expires big moves in texas in new york city toronto seattle we'll talk about all of it a little bit of cba stuff some major league baseball doctoring the balls and a little bit of Chicago Bears sadness to get to before we're done here today. We're also going to talk about number 46, but we're going to save that for a little bit later in the show. Let's start right off the top here. Big news for the Cubs, a very aggressive move for the Chicago Cubs, going out and bringing in one of the best free agent pitchers on the market in Marcus Stroman. It is a three-year deal, $71 million, a chance for Marcus to opt out after two Right as time expires, basically, the Cubs work out this deal. Jeremy, this is what we've been waiting for. This is a big moment here for the Cubs. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I, as we all know, that Cubs fans have been getting restless over the past couple of years. Like, they haven't had some major signings that, uh, you know, and our, I, I know in our own group chat, some fans have been getting restless about wanting the Cubs to do something. Right here. Yeah. So when the Cubs actually go out and make a strong move, a Marcus Stroman, which is a very strong move, uh, it plays well. I mean, I've, I've talked about, you know, spending intelligently the way the jet has talked about it and not always, you know, mistaking activity for progress and different things and winning the off season, but still at the bottom of the heart as a fan, you want your team to go out there and to spend, you want your team to, to make a move. You want your team to show that they're trying. And it's nice to go into the lockout. Even if the Cubs don't manage anything else tonight, it's nice to go into the lockout knowing they put their foot down. They made a move. We can go into the lockout. We can worry about whether or not, they're going to spend after lockout, whatever. But at that point, and now it's, it's, as I said, it's continuing to spend because they have spent. And I think, the, I don't think the Cubs would make a move, especially, you know, you mentioned the opt out after two years, it's kind of short. That to me says, look, we're trying to compete now. Yeah. Like we're trying to put ourselves in a position. Maybe it's not going to be this particular season. We're going to be division right up there, but we're trying to put ourselves in a position. If things go break, right, we're going to compete. And next year we want to compete. So I think the Cubs are going to make some moves even after the Stroman. So it's just nice to get, get that big name guy and a guy who's very active, like on Twitter, very personable to bring him into our team. This is a real aggressive move, Randall. 
Absolutely. This is something we haven't been able to enjoy in almost four years. I know we talked about it last episode of the episode prior. We haven't been able to enjoy a real marquee free agent signing since you Darvish ahead of the 2018 season. And that, of course, took all offseason. He didn't he signed so late. He went straight to Mesa. They had the press conference there. So this is the first time we've gotten to be able to enjoy a signing like this really since Jason Hayward maybe. And, and it feels good. Jeremy covered everything that is good about this move from a baseball standpoint. Stroman, a great pitcher, a, an elite ground ball pitcher, he's not necessarily going to change their strikeout profile of the rotation all on his own, but he's still a great pitcher. It just feels good to see the Cubs doing this. And one of those things that came together seemingly over the course of a day, uh, the course of a few hours, you, you hear there's interest, they're talking. And then all of a sudden he breaks his own news. It's, it's, it's a great day and it's a great feeling. Randall, I, I think you 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 put on a, a you said a key word there. You said this is a marquee signing, and and I think <laughs> you know this is the first marquee signing in the marquee era, right? I mean that Darvish was not really in the marquee era, and I think it's funny that the Cubs have kind of played that up now with their little special report, Mark Stroman signing. They like it seemed like they kind of have a, had a rushed uh, Zoom conference to try to get that on air tonight. And so I think it's funny that they've they've played that up and put that on the on the marquee network to try to really, you know, present that. And it's interesting because uh, they had Carter Hawkins on afterwards. And, and Marcus, uh, I think Carter Hawkins said that they started talking to him around Thanksgiving, um, which is, you know, about a week ago. And that it really came together last night. I think he even said the deal was done last night. What, like, what he said signed last night. Sorry, Jeremy. What he said is he was apparently sprinting through LAX, the Los Angeles airport, to get the last flight to Chicago so that he could get here and put ink to paper. So it was the sort of thing that uh, clearly they've been talking over the last week. And then it came together to the point where he needed to get himself to Chicago right quick so he could sign the contract. And, and one other thing I do want to toss out there, we're talking about marquee signings, both quote and unquote. Um, I keep saying the Cubs have not had uh, a big free agent press conference at Wrigley Field anytime in the modern era, because when they were spending all that money, Wrigley Field was still under construction. They had to have the pressers off site at the, the fancy restaurants. Now we may be only less than two hours away from a lockout and we may not get uh, uh, you know, the traditional press conference with the handing over of the jersey because it's possible the league may be locked out for goodness knows how long. That's meaningless. doesn't really mean anything in the long run. It is kind of funny, though, how the stars are not aligning. You can get your, your, your big free agent to Wrigley with the cameras in front of him and put a jersey on him. Yeah, and, um, and also, as you mentioned, I do think even though Marcus Stroman said there was not interest on his end to necessarily get a deal done um, by the lockout because he, he – felt confident at knowing at some point that he'd, he'd have a team and he'd have a place to go to. I do think there was urgency on the Cubs end. I, I do think, I don't think they wanted to go into the lockout, uh, not having made a major move, you know, yep. having that kind of fan angst. I think they know that. And I think they want to, you know, put something out there. So I do think they had some urgency saying, look, we can get this deal done with Marcus Stroman yesterday, today, whenever it actually occurred, we need to get that done now. And we need to get that done, you know, before this actually happens. And I, and to be honest, I've been kind of impressed by, the front office's ability to kind of keep, you know, leaks from really being out there. You know, Randall doesn't like it when you hear team X is on player Y or whatever, but the Cubs really haven't had really that much of a leak. And, and with, even with Stroman, you know, there was something, but then it just came out today. It was like, Hey, um, Marcus Stroman and the Cubs are a possibility and it just happened. And hopefully the Cubs are working those back channels, keeping some on some other options as well. 
Well, it's exciting. This is certainly an aggressive move for the Cubs. And I love what this signals. I agree with you, Jeremy, that they have to do something going into what's going to be an extended break here because things were getting a little hot over the last couple of days. And I was part of it. I was getting frustrated that we hadn't seen anything. Stroman is not an ace. He's not that dominant top of the line starter, but this is a very good major league player. This is a guy who can give you three and a half, four. He can give you 175 innings. And I think he's going to be a good presence also for guys like Adbert, who they're already sort of getting along on social media. I just think all around, this is a good thing. And what I like about this move from the Cubs perspective is I want them to be aggressive this offseason. I think the Cubs can do two things this offseason, and I think it's realistic. They can make a competitive roster here that can compete in the National League Central or with an expanded wild card in the National League next season. And they can do it without sacrificing any prospects. They're building up the farm system or really without getting tied into nasty long-term deals. This is a shorter contract. Marcus is getting $25 million each of the next two years. You got that opt-out ahead of the third year. This isn't going to handcuff the Cubs, even if this is a worst-case scenario and things don't work out with him. So all around, this is good. You're not mortgaging the future. You're signaling that you're trying to win now. And you're bringing in a guy, he's going to be 31 in May, who's very much a good pitcher. Just a real solid guy that they need in that rotation. They better not be done adding to the starting rotation. But this is this is so encouraging. And we're recording this with about an hour or so to go here before the CBA expires. Maybe the Cubs add somebody else before we go into the break. If that breaks, Randall's got the siren ready to go to let us know something yeah. happened. Let, let the record show I possess no sirens. I am a sirenless, <laughs> I am a sirenless individual. Disappointing. But it, it's, it, you know, it fits what Jed said. He talked about yeah. spending intelligently. And this is exactly how that fits. It's, as you mentioned, it's a short-term deal. It's a high, you know, average uh, value deal. But, you know, he, he has those $2 million escalators for pitching 160 innings, which you would think he could get to. Um, based on his history and durability. So that's, it's going to pop it up even more. And, and I, it seems like a deal that works out for both for the Cubs get a, a very good starter and Stroman's going to get another shot. Even if, even if he spends all three years, let's say he's going to get a shot at 32, 33 for another free agency. Uh, maybe hopefully he, you know, pitches very well and he loves Chicago and wants to stay, but who knows? Yeah. And as you mentioned, look at the rotation so far this year compared to last year. I mean, what I'd rather have Miley and Stroman versus what they had last year. And hopefully, yeah. you know, you mentioned adding, hopefully they do add another, maybe a guy like Carlos Rodon's in the, in the, in the offing, somebody like that. So it would be nice to see, but right now I'm still more confident in our rotation this year compared to last year. Uh, you know, spending all that money on escalators, are the ramps gone at Wrigley? <laughs> well, sure we know how not. Ronan feels about escalators <laughs> at ballparks. Yeah. Ronan, not a big fan. You know, R Jeremy, you mentioned Ronan, you mentioned uh, Adbert, uh, and what this means for him. How, how great was, how great was his tweet earlier where he's yeah. watching all this unfold and Adbert, just a young guy who likes to just kind of tweet whatever's going on. How great was his bring the guy? I love like, it. I, I do. I do like it. I do like that. He's just sitting there watching all this unfold. He, he needs to put it out there, bring Stroman in here, get it done. I would, so that's, that's instantly an all timer. I would probably buy an obvious shirt that just said, bring the guy, bring the guy, you know, that's, that's not, <laughs> if bad. that's any ideas out there, but I, I would probably buy that. Bring the guy guy is great. So Randall, you're our numbers guy. This is a first in Cubs history. This is pretty cool. What Marcus is doing. It most certainly is. We talk all the time about this is a franchise that's been around a very long time. And uh, Marcus is setting, he's making Cubs history again. He will be the first player 
in franchise history to assuming he makes it to opening day. And we certainly hope that's the case. He will be the first player in franchise history to wear uniform number zero uh, in a regular season game. It's been a spring training number for a lot of guys before, but you know, that doesn't count. So uh, making history and he's been a number zero before he did it with the Mets after wearing number six with the blue Jays and doing so with the Mets. So, you know, number zero is kind of one of those odd numbers. It looks really weird on a Jersey and there's been, I don't want to say an influx because that implies I pay way too much attention to this, which I do. Um, but there's been a, a rise in guys wearing number zero in MLB the last few seasons. Stroman, uh, you might say he helped start that trend and he's going to continue it here in Chicago. And speaking to Stroman's personality, not only did he break the news of his own signing, which was great to watch unfold, but he also announced that number zero on that very same platform. Someone asked him, Marcus, what number are we wearing? And he was nice enough to put it out there, number zero. So uh, again, a great personality, a guy who puts a lot of things out there, puts a lot of good energy out there, and it's going to be really fun to watch him. You know, Randall, you're a big Twitter guy. You're out there. You're active. you got a big following out there. You bring the entire audience in for us here on the show. I know you're all about it, but Jeremy, you decided to give Stro a follow. I know that's a huge commitment. I mean, what triggered that for you? I don't know. I, I decided to give Stro a foul. Uh, he, I don't know. He's very active on the Twitter. He seemed very excited about being a Cub. So I thought, hey, you know, I don't usually follow ball players. I don't usually follow players of any sport. I, I mostly use Twitter just for, you know, some news and some analysis. So I don't really follow those types of people. But hey, I thought Stroman would seem like an interesting guy. Maybe I, I'd like to hear what he said. And, you know, of course, one of the first things I see about there right now, he's, uh, you know, he sent out a tweet today. Of just a few minutes ago, trying to recruit uh, Carlos Correa, so that would be nice, uh, you know, if that's possibility in response to a report from a Houston uh, reporter that the Cubs are one of the teams that have contacted Carlos Correa. So let's get Stroh on there. Come on, let's do some recruiting, man. Well, you know, that's a perfect segue. We do want to talk about some of the other additions that the Cubs have made, and they've got some major league guys that have come in in the last twenty four hours. But I think this move, bringing in Stroman, illustrates something else. Cubs need a shortstop. All right, what's the plan here? They got to get somebody in at short. When you bring in Miley, when you bring in Stroman, you got to figure out that hole at short. Javi's off the board now. Where, where are the Cubs going here? Well, if they don't go into the deep end like a Carlos Correa, it would not surprise me if they were to do a player like, like maybe an Andrelton Simmons. You know, he's a great defensive shortstop. You, with a guy like uh, Marcus Stroman and, as you mentioned, Wade Miley and some of the other guys they have on their staff that are high ground ball pitchers, you're going to want an elite up the middle uh, infield in terms of defense. And so I could see a guy like an Andrelton Simmons being a fit for the Cubs if they want to get some great defense at the shortstop position. Yeah, uh, potentially you could also see them looking into swinging a trade for Nick Ahmed out of Arizona, he, player who's vexed me more than a few times. But, you know, these things happen. He, as much as I dislike him, is a top flight defensive shortstop. I don't know how much offense you would get from middle infield of Ahmed at short and Nico Horner at second base or Nick Madrigal at second base. But I don't know that a whole lot would get through that middle infield. And that, again, is something you need behind Marcus Stroman, who's the high ground ball pitcher. So there's a lot of different ways they can go with shortstop. They may opt for somebody who is more glove, less bat. Now that you've got these two ground ball heavy guys in Hendricks and Stroman at the top of your rotation. So as Jeremy said, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with this. Uh, you know, I'm not allowing myself to hope that they're going to dive 
head first into the ocean and and be really really deep on Korea as great as that would be so let's assuming assuming they don't pull another rabbit out of their hat and bring Korea in you can go a couple of different ways at shortstop and you may opt for somebody who's a little more glove and a little less bat and now that you have this profile uh, so highly so that's going to take up so much space in your rotation you know we would agree we would agree rather unanimously that Korea is one of the great players in the game right now do we have any concern about the baggage he brings? Does it bother any yeah, of us here if he's a yeah. cop? I have some concern. I, I feel like it's one of those things we would process and we deal with. Um, you know, I'd prefer it not be the case, but it's one of those things where the talent is undeniable. And to be clear, we, I, all of us, we've seen guys who have committed actual crimes, very terrible things, come through this organization and play for the and play for the team out on the field. Correa cheated at baseball, which is bad, but it is not necessarily illegal or criminal. So there's there's layers to it. I, I think we'd probably grapple with it, and I think eventually we'd probably come to terms with it. Uh, for me personally, I don't think I would have much of an issue with it. I, I the whole cheating thing is obviously a huge deal, and it, I, I was not a fan of it, and you know it obviously soured me on those guys. But maybe it would be different if the Cubs had played the Astros, say in a World Series, for me. Um, I just never kind of really could get into it in terms of, you know, really on, on that whole deal. And, you know, we've, we, we, as I mentioned before, we root for Jim Edmonds. We rooted for, you know, if you're a Bulls fan, an old Bulls fan, you root for Dennis Robin when he tried to like murder Scotty Pippen, he came play for the Bulls. So like we've rooted for some team villains that have come for us. So at Korea, you know, I, I would be pretty easily for me to overlook all those transgressions transgressions and get right behind. If you can get a star baseball player, who's that good playing shortstop for the Cubs. I think I, I would not have a tough time rooting for him. All right. That's fair enough. I think what's interesting about the Cubs situation with shortstop, they've got some guys worth a look, but they're in the low levels of the minor leagues, maybe three or four years away from the majors right now, two, three, four years. Yet, it's such an obvious need for this team right now because there's nobody up at the top. There's really no realistic in-house option right now. Don't think it's going to work out uh, with who they have, whether it's Madrigal, um, you know, playing second base, I don't think, or playing shortstop. I don't think that that would work out. So they've got to get things figured out there. So shortstop's going to be a priority for this team. They're running out of time to get something done before December 1st. But very encouraging to see Stroman get the contract. And I think Cubs fans are going to enjoy this guy. He's a lot of fun. He uh, also plays a lot of ball. I mean, he wasn't a part of the 2020 season. He opted out because of COVID. But this is a guy that throws a lot of innings. And just to have a little bit of certainty in the starting rotation is encouraging because you've got Kyle Hendricks coming back off the worst season of his career. Wade Miley's a bit advanced in terms of his age. It's nice to have some certainty. And I think you get that with Marcus. I agree. I, you know, especially with, you know, he's got the escalators now for pitching under 60 innings. Not yeah. that he probably needed more motivation, but that'll be there too. Um, and yeah, he seems like a very durable guy. I mean, he had the knee injury that we were calling. He came back from that knee injury really fast. Like he, he was able, he, pro, he beat timelines of what people expected. And so he seems like a guy who was able to keep himself in shape and to pitch. So he'll be out there a lot. And as for the shortstop you mentioned, I mean, I, we do want to talk about, I mean, not necessarily, but we should mention Nico, you know, obviously being an mm -hmm. option there. Um, I don't know if long-term he's really the guy for shortstop, but he, I do think he will be a contributor to this Cubs team in some fashion. But uh, yeah, I, you know, going back to Marcus, you know, I, he should be pretty healthy and pitch a lot of innings. Yeah. You look at his inning pitch totals the last couple of seasons, he pitched 179 innings, 
in the just completed 2021 season. He opted out in 2020, as you said, 2019 was another full season, 184 and a third. Uh, 2018, he, as Jeremy said, he was dealing with some injuries, wasn't quite the same. Uh, 2017, 201 innings. 2016, 204 innings. So that's going backwards a little bit. But when he's healthy and when he's making 30-plus starts, it's a guy who's gone out there and he's given you the innings you need. And that was something the Cubs struggled with last year, was getting pitchers beyond the fourth, the fifth, the sixth inning. And so it's good to see them bring that in, a guy who can give you those innings out of your starting rotation. And we, as we all know, if you're able to do that, it filters down and it helps everything else kind of click into place. Cubs needed starting pitching. Jed Hoyer said they were going to address it. The Cubs definitely address it here, bringing in Marcus Stroman. We'll have a lot more to talk about regarding him in future episodes. Uh, something we do want to talk about here, the Cubs also address the outfield. They're bringing in former Yankees outfielder, 27-year-old Clint Frazier. It's a small deal, one year, one and a half million. This is pretty much a no-risk opportunity for the Cubs. He was DFA'd by the Yankees a couple of weeks ago. This is a former first-round pick, big prospect, never totally worked out for him in the Bronx. Maybe a chance for a fresh start here in Chicago, and certainly low risk, a million and a half. If it doesn't work out, who cares? Worth a shot here, Jeremy. Definitely worth a shot in terms of I, I always liked him because he had like this crazy, you know, red hair and 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 he always had it, which apparently, you know, became an issue in New York because you know, he kind of went he were tried to rebel a little bit against the whole Steinbrenner, you know, facial and, and hair length, even got his hair cut, but still long on top to wear it. So you could wear it in a man bun around the the the, the uh, clubhouse, which was kind of like a silent protest. But he's an interesting guy because he seemed like he he kind of had a little bit of a breakout a couple years ago. Then he kind of struggled. He had a concussion. He's gone through some certain things. He kind of chafed under New York. As I just mentioned, there was like a rumor. He asked for like Mickey Mantle's number, which was a kind of a big deal, which was put on him, which he always denied, but fans hated him for that. Um, and so he, he seems like a guy who's always had quick bat speed and had an ability to hit for power, but it just hasn't really been able to put together a full season. And I do think it's interesting him being a former Indians prospect, and a couple of other guys, I mean, we're going to talk about Jan Gomes and Harold Ramirez that they acquired before our other former Indians in terms of just playing in the organization. So I, I was kind of curious to me that the Cubs before Marcus Stroman, it seemed like they were just going after former Indians guys. And I'm wondering how much of that is obviously Carter Hawkins impact on coming into the organization. But I, I like this Frazier signing in terms of, you know, maybe he does have something left in there. Maybe he can contribute some out. If there's a universal DH, maybe he's the type of guy who could fit in that spot. Um, but it's, it, I don't think it's the type of thing that precludes you necessarily from going out and signing another outfielder. I don't think it, it's just a guy to have, and maybe you hit on something. Sure. He's a depth piece. As you said, it should not preclude you from going out and adding another outfielder. And in retrospect, how great does the Stroman signing make the Frazier signing look? Cause all of a sudden that's not your marquee move. Uh, Jeremy, you noted it today as the Stroman stuff was coming together and it was done, but not official yet. That's about when the Cubs made it official that they had signed Frazier. You noted how great is the timing on that, that if they had not, if the Stroman thing had not been developing, what would the Frazier move have looked like? How would that have registered? So timing is everything as they say, and it's a decent complimentary piece. He doesn't provide a whole lot on defense. He's mostly a corner guy and he's an average corner guy at best. But like you said, the bat profile, has been there throughout his minor league career. You hope he can come to Chicago out of the spotlights, not even the word, out of the, the pressure cooker, the terrarium that is playing for the Yankees, and maybe he can find a little something here. So it shouldn't preclude you from adding uh, another better outfielder. It's a nice depth piece. 
Yeah, had they announced Clint Frazier last night, I think there would have been a lot of different reactions to like, let's say that tweet tweet of Clint Frazier, you know, the Cubs announcing him. Then had they, when they did actually today, tweet that out after Marcus Stroman had already announced on his own Twitter that he was going to Chicago. I think there would have been a lot of different reactions to those tweets. It's exciting though, to see some movement because we were seeing other teams making moves. The Cubs were pretty quiet, just sort of little stuff here and there. This is a bit more of an uh, aggressive strike here. Certainly Stroman, but I like the flyer on Frazier. I do too. And and it goes back to like, just talking about, you know, the fan reaction and stuff like that. Like just because, you know, a guy, not every move that they make is in the order of like importance of what they make it. Yeah. Like sometimes you're trying, like if you bring in, like everybody wants them to make the big move now, but certain higher priority moves may take longer. So you can bring in a death piece, but that doesn't mean like they're not going to go sign another outfielder or they're not going to make another move. So like Clint Frazier was brought in because at that moment he was the right man for that spot so so you know the Jan Gomes signing was obvious was the first one and that was kind of a big deal but like that's not necessarily you know the focal point of their offseason it's just a move that they need to make they need to make a lot of moves this team has a lot of holes yeah. and and you know it's great to see Jan Gomes and Marcus Stroman and all coming in they still have a lot of holes so they have to fill in a lot of spots so some of those spots are going to be filled in by guys that like it's not they were going to be filled in sooner you know, it, but it doesn't show the level of importance at the timing of when it occurs. Like if the next guy they sign is another bench guy, that doesn't mean they're not they're, they're, That's all they're doing signing bench guys. They might have another guy they want to come in. So I, you know, I, to me, you can't wait to, to know what the whole off season is going to be, what the plan is until you see the whole thing come down together. And you're like, okay, I understand what they were trying to do the whole time in the middle of it. It's very hard to determine. I think what's also hard to determine is I don't trust Tom Ricketts. Yes. That and I, I don't know. Like the Cubs needed to spend money this winter. The Cubs with an aggressive offseason can compete for a playoff spot next year. And that's the goal. The Cubs shouldn't be playing like the Reds. They should be playing like a big market team. At the same time, I could have realistically seen Tom Ricketts not doing a whole lot and not being aggressive. So I'm just glad that this happened. This to me is right. just such a good signal for the direction things are going. Um, a small move here, but sort of related to Frazier coming in. Michael Hermosillo, non-tendered by the Cubs. We got just a little bit of a taste of him. Then he suffered that wrist injury, I think it was. He ended up missing the end of the year. This is kind of a bummer. Like, I'm glad for the Cubs that they're more aggressive in building up the Major League roster. I just sort of wanted to see what he had. It's just a shame it didn't work out. Now, it should be noted that uh, Arizona Phil who one of the individuals online who seemingly knows everything going on within this organization, especially at the fringes at the lower levels. He's of the belief that Jason Adam and Michael Hermosillo, both of whom were non-tendered yesterday, he's of the belief that both of them will re-sign on minor league contracts and come back right. to spring training as non-roster invitees. And I would enjoy seeing that. What we saw from Hermosillo in the brief sample was promising. I'd like to see him remain in the organization and stay as a, a depth piece. Um, so I, I'm uh, hopefully he's not gone forever. It is unfortunate that the procedurally guys will fall off the roster that way, but it, you know, connected people seem to think they'll probably stick around and that's good. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I'm hope I'm hopeful of the, the same deal. And uh, I was hopeful that they would be able to get them to a minor league contract. Um, unfortunately for those guys, Hermosillo and Jason Adam, they're kind of caught in a bind because they can't negotiate anything um, during the lockout guys at end of the year, on major league contracts and also, you know, uh, uh, any sort of major league language in a contract, such as an invite to spring training are kind of caught in this flux. Cause they cannot, those things cannot be negotiated during the lockout. So guys that are minor league free agents, if they're going to sign another minor league deal without a invite, 
they're free to do so. But guys like Jason Adam, Mike Armasio, mm-hmm. they're stuck and they can't do that. So hopefully when the lockout ends, you know, those are a couple of guys that the Cubs can bring back because that's going to be a long time over the offseason. Who knows what goes on? Um, obviously, as, as I've always mentioned him as a former line, I recruit. Uh, I was always, you know, very excited for Hermosillo to do well for the Cubs. I actually think that Harold Ramirez, when the Cubs trade for Harold Ramirez, I always felt like that was kind of the writing on the wall that maybe Hermosillo's time was kind of a little bit up because Harold Ramirez kind of fills that same spot of what Hermosillo did, and he probably has better tools than Hermosillo did. There's more of a chance he could probably, if he puts it together, it'd be a little bit more special than Michael Hermosillo. So I, I thought that that was the move that kind of signaled, okay, he might be the odd man out here because we need a 40-man spot for uh, Harold Ramirez. So um yeah it's disappointing hopefully as randall mentioned they do come back i, I i'm you know I, I jason adam came back from a crazy injury and he also had to resign because the cubs released him and then they brought him back at the end of the year so those two guys hopefully they're back uh you know in march or whatever they look good in des moines and i gotta tell you yeah. driving home i spent a night in des moines got a chance to check out the ballpark randall the city is buzzing the s's are silent it was good to spend a night in des moines iowa I appreciate you confirming that. Pat Hughes has been saying it all summer, but I appreciate having boots on the ground to confirm that for me, that the S's are silent, but the city is buzzing. I got to say, pretty impressed with Des Moines. It's a cool town. Downtown is nice. They got some historic buildings there. I got to give an honest assessment, though, of the ballpark. It's pretty dumpy. I was actually surprised at the state that the ballpark was in, especially when you think about all those minor league affiliates that got cut out basically because their facilities weren't nice enough. That end of the Kane County Cougars run is an affiliated minor league team. I was pretty surprised Principal Park is not aging well. I was reading that there is some money being pumped back into that ballpark. It needs a facelift. Apparently, it's going to be getting one over the next couple of years. It's needed. I was really, really surprised by the state of the ballpark and pleasantly surprised by how pleasant Des Moines was. That's, that's disappointing to hear, though, about the ballpark. I've never been to Des Moines, so hopefully you know, we can get a chance to get out there maybe next year and really go and experience both the ballpark and the town. Um, as a guy who spends a lot, who's been to Iowa a lot, I've only ever really been to the edges because all of my personal Iowa connections are either on one side, the western side of the state, Council Bluffs, or on the eastern side of the state in, like, Davenport. I've never really been to, like, the middle of the state, which is Des Moines. Um, and so I, I would like to get out there, and I would like to see some Iowa Cubs, and hopefully Principal Park, you know, hopefully that does become a nice little spot. How was Rod Beck, though? Um, did you pour one out for him? I, you know what I did? I took Huxley on a walk. You can do a complete 360 around the outside of the ballpark, and we were over by the river, and Huxley – Gave a tribute to Rod Beck. We are big Rod Beck fans in this house. And I was thinking about him. I was absolutely thinking about him there. And just what a what a memorable cub he was. And something that I'll always remember about Rod Beck, he only had, you know, that one main year, 98 with the Cubs. He was buried in a Chicago Cubs uniform when he when he passed away. And that 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 means a lot to me. I don't know. I just feel like he's one of those larger than life cubs and will always be a larger than life cub. You know, it's funny. I think the Cubs heard us as we record this. uh, Russ Dorsey, the beat reporter for the Sun-Times, confirming that Michael Hermosillo back on a one-year deal. Oh, they got him back quick. Where's the siren, Randall? Yeah, we need the siren. I'm not not breaking out the siren for Michael Hermosillo. There you go. Jeremy broke out the siren. Randall's breaking news alarm. Well, we hope to see him in Des Moines for sure. And looking forward to that ballpark getting an upgrade. But we are a major league contract. Sorry to interrupt, but that's kind of a big deal, too. For Hermosillo, he got a major league contract. Oh, wow. Okay. Good yeah. for him. All right. 
Well, we'll see how all that shakes out. I'm assuming there's a spring training. I got to get this collective bargaining agreement figured out. Uh, but we'll see what else the Cubs do in terms of moves. Uh, but yeah, we're going to bring the crew out to Des Moines next April or May. We want to get there while some of those big players are there. And we're looking forward to that. So uh, I'm excited. It, I'm, I'm, again, very pleasantly surprised with Des Moines as a city. and looking forward to that ballpark getting some love moving forward. Uh, yeah, Jeremy. And just to, woo, you know, a little bit more breaking news. Uh, John Heyman, and I know how much Randall is reporting John Heyman, but John Heyman has is, is tweeted out that the owners have voted unanimously to institute a lockout and that it's expected to begin tomorrow. So that's kind of already happening. No surprise, but still disappointing. Dick Monfort up on top of yep. McGregor Square, just giving us all the bird, giving all the players the bird too. We knew this was coming, uh, at least it's December and not August 1st right now or something like that. And hopefully both sides work this out. I want a full spring training. I want a full regular season and I want free agency to get going because the last 48 hours have been a lot of fun. And now it's going to come to a grinding halt for Lord knows how long until this thing gets resolved. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. Hey, I got one more Des Moines thing for both of you. First of all, Des Moines, obviously the capital of Iowa, the largest building in Iowa is in Des Moines. So that's, that's something you can I would imagine the the largest, a lot of things in Iowa are probably in Des Moines. Wow. Randall, I got a, a geography question for you. A geography so, question. All right. Hit me. And Jeremy, you as well. You're well-traveled. You spent some time in Iowa. Uh, the ballpark, principal park, the Iowa Cubs play in, is at the confluence of two rivers. Do you know those two rivers? Ooh, um, I'm going to guess the the Iowa River and the Corn River. Oh, for 2. Oh, for 2. That's all right. Wow, that is an interesting question. I'm going to guess... The Platte River. Oh. And I'm going to guess, I just feel like it's farther south, but I'm still going to guess it. I'm going to guess the Missouri River. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So we're 0 for 4. Oh, okay. The Des Moines River. No, the Des Moines River. And this one that I happen to like, the Raccoon River. The Raccoon River. (laughs) Yeah. The confluence of that is where Principal Park lies there in Des Moines. Nice thing, beyond the center field fence is the state capitol building in Des Moines. So that's pretty cool in terms of, what do you think of minor league baseball? Those towns across the Midwest come to mind for me in a place with the state capital. That's a good place for a ball club. It is. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ball clubs in uh, Iowa. You got uh, Quad Cities. You got uh, Clinton. So uh, Cedar Rapids. So, you know, Des Moines is nice to have one as well. Ronan, on the Raccoon River, did you see any like a steamboat crewed entirely by raccoons? maybe wearing little hats and little uniforms or raccoons like rafting down the river. Were there any raccoons on the raccoon river? There were no raccoons, but there was a big scary sign. Uh, it must've been the Des Moines river. There's a dam right outside past the ballpark. And there's these big, you know, you can't mess around with dams in terms of getting in the water. That's a place you don't want to be. No. There's all these signs. And it's like, when you walk out of the center field fence at that ballpark, you're walking right out into this massive dam at the confluence of these rivers. So Nighttime, have a couple beers. That freaks me out a little bit. That's all. Well, yeah, Cubs. Cubs have made me say a massive damn a couple times in my lifetime. <laughs> Only a few. Only a few. But I think we'll have a lot of fun in Des Moines. It's got a neat downtown. I've stayed in a lot of the towns between Denver and Chicago. When you're coming back across Nebraska and Iowa, Des Moines is one of the better places you can land. I do like Omaha. Spent some time in Lincoln here. Coming back. Oof. Not a whole lot going on in Lincoln, Nebraska, folks. So uh, much better to spend the night in Des Moines. And I just 
really enjoy i like ballparks i like seeing different towns and how they incorporate the ballparks into the town i was just very surprised principal park looks beat up and it's showing its age so i'm glad to see that they're investing some money in it and hopefully it'll give it new life because des moines is a great partner city for the cubs and there's been so much history between the cubs and and iowa and i want to see that going moving forward long time i mean dating back to the early 80s i believe so yeah, yeah i would love to see it the iowa cubs you know they're changing their hats this year they no longer the hats, eye yeah. now they have a little uh baron that's actually yeah, a little they're, disappointing they're i like the logo the but i always think of the eye on the hat because always you know the cubs see and the, they have the eye another major league move for the cubs uh last year backup catcher was a real problem it was a rotating door for the cubs jan gomes coming in on a two-year deal six and a half million each year so a two-year deal for 13 million when this happened yesterday randall i was worried I'm like, okay, does this mean the Cubs have a backup catcher, which is good, a reliable backup catcher, 34-year-old guy? Or does this mean Wilson Contreras is in trouble? Because the day before that, we got the report that the Cubs haven't talked extension with Wilson. So where does Jan Gomes fit into this? Is he the backup to Wilson, or should we be worried about the future of Wilson Contreras? Well, Ronan, I know you you in our, our off-camera, off off-microphone conversations tend to take a little more pessimistic tone in this. Um, no, I, I think they're bringing in a, a decent quality backup catcher. He's a guy who, who can hit a little bit. He's got a good arm. He's good at controlling the run game. And we saw it last season. The backup catching depth was tested severely. Your designated major league backup catcher in Austin Romine, he played very little due to injury. And you you had to go down for guys like Taylor Gushu and... Ooh. Goodness, who else am I forgetting? PJ Higgins and Jose Lobaton, and it just went on and on and on. I, I don't think there's any issue with bringing in a quality major league backup catcher, and I don't think there's any issue in paying a little bit of money for him. And a great comparison is Roberto Perez, who can't hit worth a damn. He's a decent defensive catcher, but he can't hit worth a damn. He signed one year with the Pirates, five and a half million. That's hmm. one. That's a million dollars less for a year than Jan Gomes is getting. If you want a decent backup catcher, a guy who's not going to hurt your team for the one or two days a week where he starts, you, it's okay to spend a couple million dollars. We talk all the time about how the Cubs should be a team willing to spend money. And if you need to spend a little bit of money to get in a decent backup catcher, go ahead and do it. It shouldn't preclude you from making other moves. I don't think it signals a trade of Wilson Contreras. I think it means potentially even with the DH coming that you can start Gomes behind the plate, keep Contreras' bat in the lineup and help keep Contreras fresh. That's something they mentioned at the tail end of last season is wanting to limit Wilson's workload behind the plate a little bit more. So no, I don't think it signals a Wilson Contreras trade. I think there's lots of very reasonable and logical ways where they just brought in a quality major league backup catcher on a two-year contract. I think, well, first of all, Randall, I don't know how you forgot like Ronan's guy, Tony Walters. That's right. Uh, you I know, try to forget Ronan's guy. And a couple Walters. other, uh, um, catchers I think they had out there, yeah, we'll, but we'll I, spend a whole episode just naming backup catchers from 2021. I, I think, I think that I, I, for the most part, I agree with you, Randall. Um, I think that Jan Gomes, I, I think it's going to be more of a, cause you, as you said, they mentioned at the end of last year, how Wilson, even Wilson himself mentioned with all the problems they had the backup catcher, he probably played too much. Like he said, he wants to go out there every day, but you know, uh, and he would, he loves playing, but at some point you, you have to take a rest. Yeah. And so I think that having a guy like Jan Gomes, I think they're going to share the position a little more. I don't, I don't think it's going to be, I mean, Wilson's obviously going to be, get more uh, higher at, at uh, end of the, the time, the reps behind at, at, at the plate, but I think it's be more of a, of a, of a sharing position. 
And, you know, Gomes, Gomes has played a little bit of first base in his career. There's the universal DH is going to come in uh, into play most likely. And, you know, talking about whether or not the Cubs have started contract uh, extension with Wilson, I, I think, first of all, typically those types of things don't really occur until February or March for the most part. I mean, that's really contract extension uh, season because, you know, most of the off season is focused on bringing in outside talent. Um, and, you know, the CBA is happening. Uh, you know, there, we got this whole issue. Uh, they, if, when the lockout comes, which has been reported as the owners have already voted unanimously to lockout. So it's just a matter of at what time you can't really talk to anybody. So whether or not, if they want to start talking extension, they can't talk. So it would seem to me, it would make sense to wait a little bit, you know, if, especially if you're focused on other things. Um, and I think Wilson likes to troll people a little bit. I don't think he, he, I think he gets a little, I think he gets, has a little fun, you know, with some fans, you know, doing some things, but let's say that the Cubs, you know, they are in the position to trade Wilson Contreras at this time, signing Jan Gomes. Honestly, he's probably the top catcher on the market. There really are no other catchers. I mean, Randall yeah. mentioned Roberto Perez, who, another former Cleveland Indian guy, just like that, Jan Gomes. But outside of that, there's no other catchers. So it really kind of took uh, a spot away and it probably created some demand, you know, for Wilson, whether or not, even if they were to go down that route, because um, other teams don't really have that many options. I mean, Jacob Stallings just got traded. You saw what he went for a pretty good deal. And that's for a guy like Jacob Stallings. So, you know, that would be out there as an option, but I, I do think that I, I don't think it necessarily means that. I mean, obviously I would like to see, them bring keep Wilson around and we'll see how next year it is. I mean, remember in 2015, the Cubs signed David Ross and they had three catchers on the roster uh, in Montero Ross and Castillo. And everybody was like, they have to trade cast one of them at some point. And they did obviously, but it wasn't until, you know, the middle of the season. So like, I don't think it necessarily means that the Cubs are out there shopping Wilson Contreras right now. I think they will definitely go into next year um, for the most part, unless they get blown away by a deal. I think they'll go in with, next year with, with both of them. And maybe if they can't get anything done, maybe then, you know, like this past season at the deadline, you would see some action, but I, I don't think it means that they're going to part with him. Now, maybe an extension is in the works with Wilson and it's just quiet. And it's something that we're not going to see here until after the CBA gets worked out, but it is good to see the Cubs be an aggressive catcher, particularly backup catcher, a real weakness on the squad last year. And yeah, Jeremy, you're right. It's a thin free agent market for catchers. So the Cubs go out, they get a guy. Uh, he's had some really good years in his mid-20s back with Cleveland, some four and a half, five war seasons. He's not that guy anymore, but he should be a reliable backup. And hopefully Wilson's sticking around. The Cubs are a better team with Wilson Contreras on the roster behind home plate. Yeah, Jeremy, you mentioned Wilson kind of likes to troll people, be kind of shady on Twitter. His uh, his tweet yesterday with the airplane taking off and landing probably would have been right around the time Stroman was rushing rushing to Los Angeles International to to catch his plane to Chicago. So I don't know what Wilson knew and what Wilson doesn't didn't know, but it's kind of funny that that lines up. And uh, one other thing about Jan Gomes, an interesting tidbit, he is, of course, Brazilian. He's one of the few Brazilian-born players in Major League history. He holds most of the records for offensive categories by a Brazilian-born MLB player. Now, granted, it's a very small sample size, but that's a, a neat tidbit about him. Mm -hmm. Randall, you always get those neat tidbits for us. I have nothing but neat tidbits. I am the, the maid of neat tidbits.
So the Cubs making some moves here. They go out and get Marcus Stroman. They get, uh, hopefully, a backup catcher in Jan Gomes. They add Clint Frazier into the mix in the outfield. And then during our recording here tonight, Michael Hermosino, who was non-tendered, back on a major league deal. So we're getting a little bit of a clearer picture for the Cubs, but still holes all over the place. Shortstop being a huge priority. They still need more starting pitching, too. They can't be done here. But unless something happens uh, in the next couple of minutes, it's going to be until... The CBA comes back that we're going to find out what the Cubs actually do here. It could be a very quiet couple of months now. Now, if I'm not mistaken, teams can still do transactions right up until the lockout goes into effect. Jeremy, yes. that's that's correct. Up until the moment yes. the lockout occurs. Then. Okay. And according to according to uh, every agent's favorite reporter, John Heyman, that lockout won't go into effect until some point tomorrow. So it's not inconceivable. We could see one more kind of final rush of deals late overnight tonight and maybe into, even into tomorrow morning and midday, depending on when that lockout goes into effect. Yeah. The only thing I would say, though, is those deals would probably have already to have been already have had to have been started. Like you sure, get sure. physicals you done, get guys in a lot physical. of things. So like, you know, that it's possible there will be a rush of trying to get some things finished. Um, but uh, you're not, I don't think you're really going to see a deal that like start up today or now and get it in right real quick. Michael Hermosillo, biggest last minute outfielder signing since Dexter Fowler, true or false? Ooh, I guess, I guess you got to go true. I guess it's, it's, that's all true facts right there. I mean, true. Cause I don't think there's been any other <laughs> ones since Dexter Fowler. So, so the Cubs get busy here as the CBA gets set to expire Cubs, not the only team making moves, though. And one other point here, just 40-man related. Nelson Velasquez, the outfielder, pitcher Ethan Roberts added to the 40-man roster. So Cubs shoring that up a little bit. Uh, but the free agent frenzy that's been happening in the last week. Let's start in Texas. Of all the teams to be aggressive, the Texas Rangers going out and spending hundreds of millions of dollars. They get Corey Seager in the mix. Uh, they have got John Gray, the former Colorado Rockies starter, four years, 56 million. And then Marcus, is it Semyon? Am I pronouncing that right? Semyon, yes. Semyon. Seven years, $175 million. Texas Rangers spending some money here. My goodness. That's a lot of money for one team to commit across three signings. But good for them. I'd much rather see the money go to the players than to stay in the pockets of the owners. And yeah, that, that's impressive. And, and how about Marcus Semyon? who was a, a bat first middle infielder, a guy who couldn't really play short. He was actually, he was a shortstop, but he couldn't play it particularly well. It was all about the bat. It's a little bit of a journeyman. He bounced around with a couple of different teams. The last couple of years, he's really made himself into, he was an MVP candidate and he gets rewarded for that with $175 million over seven years. For, so good for him. That's a guy who really worked himself into that big payday. It was not handed to him. He really had to work for it. John Gray, I wouldn't have minded the Cubs being in on that, especially at that price. But, you know, the, I guess you can't beat uh, the enter, the ambiance of Irving, Texas or Arlington. I'm sorry, they play in Arlington, oh. not not Irving. Um, and, you know, Corey Seager, we all knew was going to get that big contract. And Carlos Correa probably talking to his agent right now saying, I want to beat that Corey Seager contract. So that's going to be interesting. Good for them. That's a lot of money. Randall, uh, you know, oh. Randall, you know, who's born in Irving, Texas? Kerry Wood. Kerry Wood, Wood was born yep. in Irving, Texas. Kerry Wood, who wasn't wearing uh, socks with his shoes in that episode of Icons of the Ivy we caught on Marquee. Okay, Randall really noticing uh, Kerry Wood's uh, you pointed ankles. It out. You pointed it out. I pointed it out. pointed it out. Okay, fine. Then I know that. I don't remember. Last week. I don't okay, even that. remember. Um, you know, Texas, obviously, huge spenders. I think that 
556 million or whatever they spent total contract yeah. um numbers i think that's the biggest in major league history i remember in 06 offseason before 07 when the cubs spent what was like 300 million at the time people went oh my god they spent 300 million dollars made a huge deal out of it um but this texas rangers team i'm a little surprised to be honest because i thought you know teams like seattle teams like detroit those were teams I could see spending really big because they're trying to do like, let's say what the 2014 Cubs did going into 15 or take that next step. Cause they have a lot of young talent coming up. The Rangers don't really have that, at least not right now at the moment, they added a lot of players and their team is still not really that good. I mean, you could argue they might still even be fifth in their division. Um, Cause you, everything else around the, those three guys is pretty woof. It's not very good. Um, Corey Seager got a monster deal. I, I was surprised. I thought Corey Seager would be more in the Rendon area, maybe a little higher than that. 10 years, 325 million. It, I think the Rangers just went like above and beyond what other teams are doing. And I think the Cubs would have been interested in not, I'm not saying they would sign him, but they would have been interested in a Corey Seager, you know, maybe for 250, maybe for whatever, but like they they were never going to sign Corey Seager for a 300 plus million dollar contract, which is crazy. And, and when they signed Semyon, it was like, okay, maybe that's not a spot anymore for Corey Seager, but then he went there anyways. Uh, John Gray, as Randall said, a little disappointing that the Cubs weren't necessarily giving him that deal, but I could also see, you know, John Gray, I'm not exactly, I think he's from Oklahoma. I mean, he went to the university of Oklahoma. I'm not sure if he's from Texas or Oklahoma. So it wouldn't surprise me if he just wanted to be more in that region, that area was something that spoke to him. Well, John Gray's not a Colorado Rocky for the first time since 2013, been a part of that organization. Um, just not a lot of money for him. I think he's going to benefit getting out of Coors Field. That's a full-time thing, too. You can't just look at a Rockies pitcher's road splits and go, oh, he's not a good pitcher because he's struggling away from the ballpark. Going on the road is difficult for Rockies players because they're used to playing here. It goes both ways. So four years, $56 million, seems low risk for a guy with a huge upside. And I like John Gray. I want to see it work out for him. Just kind of cool to see the American League West, multiple teams being aggressive. Anaheim has spent a lot of money. Seattle just went out and got Robbie Ray. They're talking about being in the mix for Chris Bryant. Now Texas going out and spending money. The expectation is Oakland has taken a step back cheap ownership there so hey good on texas at least they're trying to win at least they're spending some money i'm going to celebrate that all the time i wish more teams did what texas is doing right now i mean yeah they might not have a good team out there next year necessarily but i would you know the fans still going to want to go out there and see Corey seager in my opinion i would i would want to go out and see Corey seager and marcus Semyon. you know they have, that's a pretty elite middle of the infield they got regardless of what else is out there on on the roster so seager gets the contract Semyon gets the contract, a lot of shortstops moving around. Javi Baez has a landing spot. Randall, it is Detroit, Michigan. Six years, $140 million. He's got an opt-out after the 23 season. This was roughly the money the Cubs were offering about two years ago. So it worked out for Javi. It's not with Chicago, but he ended up getting that money that he was looking for. To whatever extent we believe those reports when they came out and they've, they've bounced around since, it's actually a little less. Than the Cubs were supposedly offering. The Cubs were supposedly offering him 168 million. He signed for uh, 140 with that with that opt out. Um, so it's funny how that works out. And you know Rizzo's still out there. The rumors were the Cubs had offered him five, 70 million over five years. He might be lucky to get that after what was a kind of an up and down season for him. Um, so it's just funny how that works out. But good for Javi and. Detroit is a great landing spot for him because the odds of him coming back to vex me. Uh, are low 
playing in Detroit, but he's going to get to play against uh, some other teams in that division. And we talk about them all the time as an up and coming team. They've traded for Tucker Barnhart. They signed Eduardo Rodriguez to a big free agent contract. So they're making, they're making moves and they're bringing in quality players too. Good for Javi. I could never wish Javi anything but the best. Uh, I agree with you definitely on uh, Detroit. You know, that, that seems like a perfect spot for Javi for me as a Cubs fan to root for Javi Baez. I don't like him on the Mets, you know, rooting for him there, but I could root for Javi Baez as a Detroit Tiger. Easily. Uh, in regards to, you know, the, the reportedly eight year, $168 million contract the Cubs did offer supposedly uh, or reportedly offered that was in March of 2020. So you do have yep. to factor in those two years that Javi would have played on that contract, which would have been about 20 some odd million dollars, which would have brought it down to probably the 140 range for the next six years. Yeah. So that's kind of equal. Um, but but that said, Javi did get an opt-out, which I don't know if the Cubs would have offered him an opt-out. So that opt-out is worth a bit of money. So on the whole, I think Javi did better because he got the 20 some odd million dollars anyways. He got the 140 million deal dollar deal that he put a guy and he got the opt-out. So if he plays well, he can even get even more money. So um, but as I said, you know, Javi Baez, the Detroit Tiger, I'm sad to see him not as a Cub. I think he'd actually be perfect to play with Stroman, as we even saw in New York this past year, where they made some special plays together. And I think having Javi Baez at your defensive shortstop behind Stroman would have been excellent. But to Javi Baez, the Detroit Tiger, that would have been a great deal. Or, I mean, it is a great deal for Detroit, but uh, and it's a good deal for me because I can root for him there. And, you know, Detroit was going to spend and we thought maybe Correa, you mentioned, yeah. but to get Baez, you know, I've seen some Detroit fans complaining because they didn't get Correa. They only got Baez. But like if you could make a $140 million signing for a four point, you know, five war shortstop last year, like I'm not going to complain about that. I don't care. Well, it's, it's, it's been a while since Tigers fans have seen a half decent player. We'll, we'll let them slide on this one Ooh. and hope that they come around on Javi sooner versus later, because if, if they don't triggers a clause in the contract where Baez comes back to the Cubs. Little, little known, little known rider inserted into that contract. If the Tigers fans don't embrace him, it actually reverts to the Cubs. I, I made sure to get it worked into the, the language of that contract. And maybe he does opt out and then he'll only have like one year, half a year as a Met, two years as a Tiger, a few years on another team. And it's like, hey, those seven years on the Cubs, that's the bulk of his career. You're really hung up on that, Jeremy. A couple of weeks now, you've talked about these guys got to have their tenure. The most That's of what their I want. Tenure as I want Cubs. that. I mean, you look at Greg Maddox; it's sad because it's only now like ten years versus eleven years as a, yeah. as a, as a brave. But like, if you see a guy out there, okay, he played eight years for the Cubs, five years for another team, four years for another team. It's like, all right, but he was mostly a Cub. That was the that was the majority of his career, or at least the plurality. Randall, we're going to see you out at Sox Park next summer in a hobby jersey. Uh, I don't think any part of that is going to happen. No, some, you know, I, I know you'd love to see all parts of that happen. I'm going to predict zero parts of that happening. You know, maybe we'll meet in the middle and uh, one, one part of that will happen. We'll see. I would have gone for Rizzo, but he tested positive for COVID. So that he did yeah. his foundation bought all of those tickets for people to come see Rizzo at uh, guaranteed rate field. And then he tested positive for COVID and was not present at guaranteed rate field. Well, if I lived in Chicago, I would be out there. Uh, I would go to Sox games and catch a couple games a year, but I would go see Javi in a Detroit uniform um, and maybe it'll align with the trip home next year. I'd like to do it. I haven't been at a Sox ball game in nearly a decade now, and the ballpark's changed a little bit. They got a new video board since the last time I was there. I, I want to see all the ballparks. I want to go to all the games. So sign me up for Javi against the White Sox. That sounds like a lot of fun. I, I, I'm down. Like if, you know, I, I definitely... Love going to the Sox uh, park. I've been a few, I, you know, I went a couple times last year, been a few times 
in the past. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting park and it, it's, it's nice to see something different. You know, you can't always just go to the Wrigley all the time. You got to see adventure to different places. And, you know, speaking of just going to different parks, like we got to plan our annual trip next year. Something we got to do. Right. A couple of other AL central moves. The White Sox give Lori Garcia three years. Uh, also Byron Buxton, the big name in Minnesota, a guy that when he's healthy, MVP caliber, caliber player gets a big one. Seven years, 100 million bonuses if he's in the top 10 for MVP finishes. This guy is critical to the future of the Minnesota Twins. We've been hearing for years. This guy's going to be the face of the organization. If he's healthy, he's all of that. Will he stay healthy over this seven-year contract? And that's the question, right? I mean, it's such a weird contract because it's like, uh, it's such a weird contract because $100 million uh, for Byron Buxton, could, you could see as both low or both high. Um, but he he he's a guy like he I think at 4.5 war like in a half season last year he's he's a crazy yeah. athletic crazy uh player so if he's healthy he's gonna make that to shame but he hasn't really been able to be healthy for almost all his career the guy's been in the league for seven years in that time he's had just one season with more than 100 games played 140 games played when he's a 23 year old in 2017 last couple of years and keep in mind 2020 was a 60 game schedule 87 games in 2019, 39 games in 2020, just 61 games a year ago. This guy's a superstar when he's healthy, but that's the question. And the Twins spending some money locking up their guy. Yeah, good for him getting that security, especially as a guy who tends to not see the field a whole lot due to injury. You hope he, you know, is able to kind of stay healthier as he gets a little bit older. But boy, you don't want to really bet on that, do you? A guy who has had his difficulties doing that, you don't want to put your money necessarily on betting that he's going to do that but the twins did good for them good for him he's got their money the twins ponied up to keep their their star player probably the best player on that roster and you know i know this is a cop-out but we'll have to see i I wouldn't bet on him staying healthy but for him for his sake and for the sake of his team i hope he does if he was healthy that contract would be so much higher but it's it's such a it's almost like it's such a weird thing to value it's like you don't know how to value it because when he plays, he's amazing, but he doesn't play that often. So how do you value that? Uh, it seems like $100 million. I mean, I don't know. That seems fair, I guess, just because we have no idea what to expect there. Two other moves I want to ask you about, sort of related to each other. Two teams in the American League last year that narrowly missed the playoffs. They took it to the final week or so of the year here. Seattle and Toronto. Uh, we'll start with Toronto. They lose Robbie Ray to Seattle. Five years, $110 million. So they go out and they poach the former giant, Kevin Gosman. Five years, $110 million. Who pans out better? Gosman in Toronto, Robbie Ray in Seattle. Ooh, boy, that's tough. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Robbie Ray only because I think the AL West is a little more pitcher friendly in some spots. And Kevin Gosman's going to have to go through that Yankees lineup and the Red Sox lineup. Uh, more than a couple times each season. So boy, that's close. I think Gossman is a great pitcher. That's another guy I would have loved to see the Cubs in on because I think that would have absolutely elevated the profile of that rotation as a big strikeout guy. I'm going to go with Robbie Ray, maybe carrying on the length of that contract a little bit better, even though I think Gossman might be the slightly better pitcher. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the Colorado native. I'm going to go with Kevin Gossman. Uh, I've always loved Kevin Gosman, even when he struggled in Baltimore, even when he was struggling across the league. I know the Cubs liked Kevin Gosman a lot, and they were interested in, in a few times, and it just never seemed to work out. Um, 
I I like Kevin Gosman. I think he's a great pitcher. I think he's a better pitcher than Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray's had some up and down seasons. Um, I, I think, yeah, Robbie Ray in Seattle, I think is a good fit. I think as Randall mentioned, you know, Seattle's a pitcher friendly ballpark. There's some other pitcher friendly ballparks out there, but I just think Gosman's is a better pitcher. And so I think overall him being the better pitcher, I'm going to take him as having the better season. Well, I'm with Randall here. I think Robbie Ray is going to work out better. I'm all pulling for Seattle. I'd like to see Chris Bryant, if he's not coming yeah. back to Chicago here, would love this team end up up there. You talk about former Cub greats going to teams that aren't offensive with regards to the Cubs. Seattle Mariners, right up near the top of the list, just like the Detroit Tigers. Go out there, man. Have quite the season. Do your thing. Get to the postseason. Maybe we'll see you in a World Series at Wrigley against the Cubs. The, the Mariners are about as far away from the Cubs as you can get, both uh, in terms of being offensive and both as ter- in terms of geography. So that's about as far away from the Cubs as you can possibly get. And Heyman uh, today, he, he, he used the word. Uh, he said that the Bryant, uh, you know, sweepstakes, if you will, were uh, percolating, percolating. Uh, right about oh, now. He said they yeah. were percolating. And that, uh, you know, and which is interesting to me because I never I didn't think Chris Bryant would be a guy who would sign early. And I don't think he is going to sign early. I think the lockout will take it. But it is interesting that, you know, teams are kind of getting on him now. Um, And so, you know, there was some talk about Colorado for Chris Bryant and whether or not he would want to go there, which I think is very weird. But, well, you know, it's much closer to his hometown of Las Vegas. Yeah, I, you know, it's well, it's about the same drive as it is from here to Chicago. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Denver to Las Vegas is about the same. And in, f- in fact, if you factor in the mountains really? and the fact that you're going, it's about 11 hours driving to Vegas from Denver. Uh, that doesn't include snow and this time of the year, you know, it, that trip could take a lot longer if the mountains aren't cooperating with, with you drive back is 14 or so to Chicago, but you know, no snow, you're, you're grooving. So weird to see him, but you know, Colorado Rockies are articulating this notion that they're going to be competitive next year. They're really moving forward with it, and it's just a head-scratcher. Colorado Rockies last year finished 30 games behind two teams in their division, and the team in the middle of them and uh, you know fourth place is a team that's going to be better next year in San Diego. I don't see any scenario where the Colorado Rockies are competitive next season. Well, you know, their owner right now is is in the room on the CBA negotiation. So who knows what he's he's doing for the offseason. And and I do remember, was it last year or two years ago? Uh, where the Rockies were like, well, our internals say we're going to win 94 games. And everybody was like, what what, what internals do they have that says they're going to win 94 games? They don't have that good of a team next year. And, you know, they they missed out on compensation for John Gray. They're probably going to miss out on compensation for Trevor Story. There was like a report that the Rockies were interested in bringing him back. And then the Denver beat writer tweeted out that, according to Trevor Story, the Rockies never have, have yeah. never contacted him. So who knows what's going on over there? I don't know what's going on with the Rockies. Uh but you have to remember, just to go back a little bit, from John Heyman's out there in New York, from that point of view, if he's looking west, he, everything just flows together. Everything everything is close I, by. When that was like an old, I think, New Yorker uh, cover, Time, maybe Time Magazine or something like that, where it was just like, okay, there's a little bit of New Jersey and then just America. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> That's kind of like how if you live in Chicago, yeah. anything south of, of a certain point is just kind of downstate. It's corn. Even, yeah. e- exactly. Even if you're only an hour, hour and a half outside the city. South of 80. Which is a bit unfair, too, because southern Illinois is really pretty. It is. Different. You just got that big chunk in the middle of the state. Jeremy spent some time there in school. I spent some time there in school. A lot of corn, a lot of soy in central Illinois. 
Uh, but it gets real pretty too. Not that the corn isn't pretty. It is to an extent, but you get down to Southern Illinois, you get hills and forests, and that's a little bit more exciting than just endless cornfields. And marine. I'll tell you what, you want a horrible drive. Lincoln, Nebraska to about 35 miles outside of Denver. It is barren across Western Nebraska, Eastern Colorado. You know, you get into Colorado and you're like, okay, there's going to be mountains. You got a long way to go once you get into Colorado until you start to see those mountains and it gets tedious. So uh, I'm, I'm happy I'm locked in here for a little bit. I'll be coming back in the summer. I'm going to drive again in the summer with the Iowa Cubs game built in there or so and a stop in Des Moines. But man, coming back is brutal. Absolutely any, brutal. Any tumbleweeds keeping pace with your car as you as you braved those those barren roads? You know, no tumbleweeds, but I'm I'm extremely paranoid about getting a ticket. Like I just don't want to get pulled over. I definitely don't want to get pulled over in Iowa or in Nebraska, a little bit more comfortable here in Colorado or back in Illinois. But I got a ticket in Colorado just before getting into Nebraska. I got wow. busted. Logan County, Colorado. I was maybe 20 miles from the border. I'm like, I can't speed in Nebraska. I can go a little bit over here in Colorado. I got nabbed. The guy popped out of nowhere, oh. sniped me, and that's it. $174. Ooh. Wow. Pay that fine. Brutal. Nothing, nothing ruins your day like a yeah, speeding ticket. Nothing. It, it, it was a, and he's like, have a nice Thanksgiving. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. That, I appreciate the gift. That surprises me. I would have figured, as you said, that Nebraska would really be the, the, the spot, the the check, yeah, and especially Colorado drivers flying in and out. You know, Nebraska kind of always felt like to me. I know once you get to Illinois, I, I when you drive through Whiteside County is a big one. So when you're driving through Whiteside County, keep a spot out for the police. Oh, they on your way too. back on your way yeah. back either to or from Colorado. It's uh, it's you you want to be careful right around the borders. Um, but you know, for the Logan County Sheriff's office, they're just, they know they're just taking money, all those drivers. Cause you get out of Denver and it's flat and there's nothing. And it's 20 miles between towns at points that it's, that it's easy to take that speed limit. And suddenly you're going 10, 15 over and you get, you get poached for it. So that one sucked, but, uh, it was good to get home anyway. Um, we're running a little bit short on time here, and we got a lot of episodes coming up. We're going to be back again next week. So I'm thinking, guys, let's take one thing from the CBA okay. and just do that today, and we'll save the rest for next week. Where do you want to go with that? Of the proposals that we've heard, we know they're going into a lockout tomorrow morning. What that we've heard of in terms of negotiations do you want to chat about here for a couple minutes? Well, for me, I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting, though, that I think um, – so we've, we've talked about expanded playoffs. And we talked about how the owners had they put out a plan for 14 teams in expanded playoffs. The players came back with a plan for 12 teams in expanded playoffs, and they also came back with a realignment of you know the league and where you would have two divisions in each league, one at eight and one at seven. And I thought it was interesting that that was something the players were thinking about uh, realigning the league and especially with the way it would work in this playoff system. And, you know, the owners have like a playoff lottery, you know, where they are a playoff draft where the, the, the number one seed would pick who they would want to play out of the wild card and the two seed would pick who they want to play. And they want to make that like a, a TV spectacle, which I thought was weird because I don't think a lot of teams would actually enjoy that GMs and coach managers and stuff like that because, you know, people are second guessing your decision and everything. And so I, I just think the whole nature of the expanded playoffs as a part of the negotiations, I think that's kind of interesting. You know, for my money, the interesting and not necessarily in a good way, interesting is owners 
wanting to base arbitration on a stat like FWAR. And I think that's, that's really odd because, you know, for, for so many years, teams struggled to embrace sabermetrics until Brad Pitt introduced sabermetrics into baseball as depicted in the movie Moneyball. Um, but for so many years, the teams were hesitant to reluct to accept metrics like that. And now it's so weird that they want to take this, this stat that we kind of use as this end-all, be-all, all-encompassing, measuring offense and defense. And the owners want to base salaries on this stat in, a, in an institutionalized and official way. And that's really weird to me. And I, don't, I think that proposal was probably DOA uh, the second it was delivered. But it's really weird that that's kind of how they would latch on to this is how we want to base your arbitration salaries is based on a, a formula that we have some idea how it's calculated, but we don't necessarily know the exact formula for it. And that's just kind of weird to me. I think, I, I think um, there's actually some history to that in terms of like in maybe the late 1800s or something like that, where the league actually tried to do something like that, where they tried to make a statistic and base salaries off of something like that. And the players did not want to do that. And they, they, they fought against that. And it was part of like, you know, forming unions at that time and stuff like that. And so I, 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 it's kind of weird that there would even be a history of that, like over a hundred years ago. And then it kind of comes back in nowadays. And it's like, okay, the, the owners want to get rid of all arbitration, which, you know, arbitration is kind of crazy in of itself. Cause you know, they're arguing how bad you are and you're arguing how good you are. And, and a lot of it is based on, you know, outdated stats like runs and, or not runs necessarily, but RBIs and saves and stuff like that. And they're like, okay, let's just get rid of all this and just be like, okay, here's a formula. You it, it spits out this number. That's what we pay you. And I don't necessarily think the players would like that either. So I'm sure they're going to fight that. I'm, I'm wondering what baseball reference was like, or what Fangraphs was like in the 1800s, probably an all text site uh, yeah. like hosted on like GeoCities, which I'm uh, sure was around in the, the late 1800s. Henry Chadwick, my man, Henry Chadwick, yeah. the father of baseball stats. Well, you know, I'm what I'm worried about and you know me, I get anxious from time to time, Randall. What I'm just, worried about occasionally. realignment here is it it concerns me where the Cubs land in that exactly. Picture. And what I mean at, or I guess what I'm getting at, is that I can't envision a scenario if you've got eight teams in one division in the National League, seven teams in the other. I don't see how there's a scenario where the Cubs and the Cardinals are in the same division and you can't break them up. And the Cubs are also with primarily teams in the Eastern or Central time zone. Like, you got to put the Cubs and the Cardinals with teams like Denver, which, okay, there's a one-hour difference there in the time zone, but then you're there with San Diego, you're there with Los Angeles, you're there with San Francisco. Now a good portion of your in-division road games are played at 9 o'clock at night. That's not good. I don't want to see that happening with the Cubs. I also don't want to see the leagues lose their value. I don't want the Cubs and the Sox in the same division. Mm-mm. Not no. something I'm interested in. No, thank so you. So I'm worried, though, that if they're realigning these divisions – we're going to have a lot of 9 p.m. start times for Cubs road games and a ton of cross-country trips where the Cubs have to fly to L.A., they have to fly to San Diego, they have to fly to San Francisco, places that they've historically struggled. I don't like that at all. Yeah, and there's history with that, too. Uh, uh, they tried to move the Cubs and the Cardinals to the NL West in the early 90s, and the Cubs sued. Uh, the Tribune Company sued, and I, and I think they might have even won that suit. I mean, the strike obviously came into play. Then realignment really came for good in 95, and it, you got the NL Central and the AL Central were created. But the Cubs were not happy about that decision. They did not want to go out to the NL West um, from the NL East. And it's tough because, as you say, most of the California teams in baseball are in the National League, plus Arizona. You look at the AL West, you have two teams in the Rangers and the Astros that are in the Central time zone. So a team like the White Sox, 
let's say they could either be in the East necessarily where, you know, you're playing, it'd be like an hour difference. Or if you're, you're even if they were to go to the West, it's really only Seattle and the A's and the angels, but you know, you, you'd be in probably with the twins. You'd probably be in with the Royals. You'd probably be in with the Astros. You'd probably be in with the Rangers. That's a bulk of your teams that are still in the central time zone. So it's not as bad necessarily of what it would be like in the NL for the Cubs, where it's the Cardinals, the Brewers, and then everybody else is at the over an hour away, you know? So that's what it scares me too about, you know, the players realignment. I don't think that'll come to fruition because I don't think it'll be accepted by the owners, but it's just weird that they realigned it. And I feel like in their proposal, if that were to come to Georgia, somehow the Cubs are the team that's going to be the team that's screwed along with yeah. the Cardinals, but I don't care about the Cardinals getting screwed. <laughs> nope. No. Nope. In fact, I'm for it. Well, you can't break up Cubs Cardinals, right? But it also sucks to break up Cubs Pirates and Cubs Reds because that's about as old school as it gets in the National League. Three of the oldest franchises. So I'm worried about that. Realignment freaks me out. Um, also, just some things that are kind of crappy, and we'll get into this in more detail in future episodes. Uh, players open to advertising on jerseys. It's more money for the owners. It's more money for the players. It's aesthetically ugly. I was looking at those Bulls jerseys that had the vision. Is it like a vision company on the chest? Uh, yeah, like glasses. Yeah, it's, a, it's an eyeglasses company, Zenny. So the Bulls white uniform, which is as clean of a look as you can have in the NBA, just a beautiful jersey, the Bulls red jersey, gorgeous. Then you slap on this blue and white logo right across the heart. That's going to happen. We already started to see that creep with the Nike logo on the MLB jerseys these last couple of years. This sucks, though. That's happening. Expanded playoffs. The concern there is how do you have expanded playoffs without devaluing the regular season? And the Major League regular season is long. It's long because there's value to it. Why play 162 games if 14 teams are making the playoffs? That's crazy. You're getting into NBA level of the entire regular season's a waste of time when you're getting into something like that. So we'll have these conversations. I'm looking forward to it. Jeremy, give us a final thought here, CBA-related. Well, CBA-related, my final thought I was just going to mention right now is that another one of Randall's favorites, Bob Nightingale, is tweeting that the MLB is going to tell MLBPA in 45 minutes uh, that they are imposing a lockout. They will be imposing a lockout in 45 minutes at the start of the hour, um, 12.01 Eastern time. So well, that blows. And of course, it's Nightingale delivering the news. Man's yeah. never delivered a good piece of good news. And they will life. be having a press conference tomorrow. Oh, that's going to explain the division to explain the decision. Uh, that's Major League Baseball. Good. That's going to Texas. Hopefully lots of people show up with eggs and tomatoes and other non-lethal objects to pelt them with. Jeremy disappeared on us, Randall. So it's just you and I. We want to bring this show home. That's uh, sad, though. Jeremy's gone. He just, poof, disappeared in the thin air. Disappeared in a puff of smoke. But I know, Ronan, you wanted to discuss number 46. Yeah. That, of course, yeah. being the episode number. Yeah, and the reason I want to talk about it is our guy, Stan, who reached out and said, hey, guys, where have you been? Was looking forward to a podcast. Uh, he reached out. We appreciate the listen there, Stan. You wanted us to talk number 46. It's appropriate. This is a number, Randall, that has gotten a lot of wear over the years. And some guys that, even if we personally aren't biggest fans of them, are big parts of Cubs history. I'm thinking, well, Ryan Dempster, who wore the number from 2004 to 2012. Stan mentioned Scott Feldman, who had it back in 2013. One of your guys, Randall, Pedro Strope, and then Craig Kimbrell. Some good players here of 146 the last 15 years or so. To, to take nothing away from Craig Kimbrell uh, in, his, in his Cubs tenure, we've talked about him at length and how great his 
2021 season in a Cubs uniform was 46 will always be the Pedro Strope number to me. Yeah. Oh wow! And it's kind of it's kind of funny that given Scott Feldman's place in bringing Pedro Strope and certain other pitchers named Jake Arrieta to the Cubs and what what that group accomplished, it is kind of funny that Feldman and Strope basically swapped the number as one went out and one came in. But Pedro Strope will always be number 46 to me. That's Pedro Strope's number. No disrespect to Craig Kimbrell, but I'm a Pedro Strope guy forever. You know, I mean, I am too. I got a couple guys that come to mind. The one for me from my youth, Steve Traxel, the former starting pitcher, a mainstay of the starting rotation, 1993 to 1999. When he was on the mound, those games took four and a half hours. He took his time, a deliberate starting pitcher, back when starting pitchers actually pitched deep into the ball game. That's a 46. Oscar Acosta, the pitching coach, we talked about him a lot. The 2001 Cubs, he actually wore it in 2000 as a Cubs pitching coach and then gave up the number for Jason Bure, a mainstay in the 2001 starting rotation. Another great Cubs pitcher name, one of the great names of all time, Dick Pole, Cubs coach in 2003. Dick Pole wore number 46. You can't possibly come up with a better sports name than Dick Pole. Just just a fantastic name. And Ronan, something for you to look forward to, Steve Traxel, when he made his brief return to the Cubs in 2007, it was in number 52. So sometime in uh, mid-January, we'll be able to honor Steve Traxel, one of your favorite pitchers yet again. And, you know, what, what kind of Cubs podcast would we be if we couldn't come up with multiple ways to honor Steve Traxel? Well, next week's big one, too. Number 47, a World Series hero. We're number 47, three different Cubs in 1949 wore the number 47. They're all teammates. They're all kind of big names from that time in Cubs history. So lots to talk about with that. We'll find Jeremy. We'll track him down. He's somewhere. For Randall J. Sanders, this is Ronan. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Cubs making moves here. Good luck at the start of the collective bargaining agreement breaking up. We'll be back next week to talk Major League Baseball here on Behind the Yellow Line.